0: We are continuing our study of the book of Ephesians, and I want to reiterate something about the book, and that's why I have this slide still up on the screen here for just a moment. When we're going through the book of Ephesians, one of the things that I want you to, to recognize and see is the fact that this is a book that speaks about God's eternal purpose for His church. And you'll see that all throughout this book. When we're looking at the early chapters, it talks about the things that that God's doing behind the scenes. And when you look at the the later chapters of the book that talk about the ways in which we respond to the Lord, we're in that second half that talks about the ways in which we respond. But the portion of Scripture that we're about to look at today talks about something very interesting related to the church. And and when you look at Ephesians 4, we're going to pick up at verse 7 in just a moment. It illustrates for us and it explains to us the fact that we have a ministry, that every single one of us has a ministry. Whether you have a title, that's irrelevant, but every single one of us as believers in Jesus Christ have a ministry, and so what we'll wrestle with today and what I hope will be a takeaway for each of us today is just kind of asking the question, have I discovered what my ministry is? Have I come to understand what it is? If I have one, what is it? What does it look like? If it doesn't require a title, that's fine. So what is it? So we're going to take a look at this portion of Scripture together today. I hope it's something that's encouraging to you. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. You could turn with me there if you'd like. Ephesians 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 7, and I'll read down to verse 16. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 7, this is what it says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Lord, thank you again for the privilege to be able to look at your word together this morning. And we thank you for the wisdom and for the insight and for the understanding that you grant to us from it as we look at a portion of scripture like this. And Lord, we pray that as we look at this this portion of your word that you'd help us to understand what you have done for us and why you have done it. And Lord, we know that as we look at this portion of scripture, one of the things that you're illustrating is the nature of the fact that each of us has a ministry, that every believer has a ministry. And so as we wrestle with that, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand what it means and what it looks like and how it can apply to our our day-to-day lives and how we could ultimately be used of you to be a blessing to the people that you've placed in our lives. Lord, thank you again for giving us this time now to be able to just set aside to focus on you, and we pray that you'd prepare our minds and our hearts to do just that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, some of you already know this, and probably some of you aren't aren't quite familiar with this yet, but in addition to my role here in our church as the pastor, I also have another ministry that I've been directly involved with for a little over four years. I direct a mission board that plants new churches and revitalizes churches that are struggling, and we do this throughout the United States, and we do this with a group of churches at a time. Currently, we're working with eight different churches to either plant them from scratch or revitalize them because they've, they've hit a slump or they're, they're dealing with uh, some different difficulties like that. And there may be actually a ninth church jumping on board very soon. So when you think about praying about some of those things, I'd greatly appreciate your prayers in regard uh, to that ministry, in, in regard to that mission board. But when someone attempts to plant a church, so we're working with church planters all the time, when someone attempts to plant a church, they don't usually understand ahead of time the emotional cost that they're going to actually have to pay to get that church established and to help that church to grow. There's an emotional cost that comes with it. In fact, uh, on the last Wednesday of every month, so it's coming up this Wednesday, on the last Wednesday of every month, I actually have a meeting over Zoom with all of our church planters. And the reason we have this meeting once a month, and we carve out time to actually have this meeting and just chat, is because frequently the guys tell me that they wrestle with two things. They wrestle with loneliness and isolation. Loneliness and isolation. They they feel like sometimes they're just isolated, and as a result, it, it, it triggers just feelings of loneliness as they're trying to get these churches started in different places here in the United States. And one of the things that I've noticed as a pattern is that typically during the early days of their work, They're often forced to wear multiple hats, and when they're wearing multiple hats, they're oftentimes serving in ways that they don't really feel equipped to serve in, but because there's a need there, they look at it and they're like, look, somebody's got to do this. We're trying to get this thing started, and so they wear that hat at least for a season. And, And that's fine for a little while, but it's not fine forever eventually they need to find a team of volunteers and, and a, a team of leaders to come around them. And so, so what we uh, attempt to do as we're working with them is we try and help them understand what leadership development looks like in the local church, and what it looks like to raise up a group of volunteers, and what it looks like to actually serve together and, and you know, aim toward a common goal. And... Um, And so we help them get organized in that kind of way, showing them how to do that kind of leadership development. And what we've noticed is that in general, churches that prioritize leadership development and churches that prioritize a a team approach to ministry, over time, churches that do that, those are the churches that tend to thrive. While churches that tend to spend way too long Uh, placing too many responsibilities on the shoulders of too few people, those churches eventually struggle. Those churches end up declining. In fact, some of the churches that have come under our mission board umbrella have come under our mission board umbrella because they they spent decades basically failing to raise up new leaders and decades failing to invite people to serve as volunteers. And eventually what ends up happening is those churches either close or get very close to closing and then reach out and say, hey, we actually need help, otherwise this whole thing is going to be finished. It's going to be over. It's going to be, there's going to be nothing to it. Now, I bring that up because when you look at the portion of Scripture that we just read from Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 7, here you have the Apostle Paul explaining the ways in which Christ has equipped all believers to find a role of service within the church. And when you look at that One of the things that he's making clear is that when we invest ourselves in that role of service, when we invest ourselves in serving other believers, everybody benefits. We all benefit as we do that. It also contributes to the maturity of our own faith while also adding to the maturity of the faith that we care about as part of our church family. And so as we walk through this scripture today, I hope that you'll notice that and I hope that you'll pick up a few things. But one of the things that I want to show us right away is the fact that all believers, every single believer has received a gift of grace according to what this passage says. Let me reread verses 7 through 10. Paul says it this way. He says, but grace was given to each one of us Let's pause there for just a second. Something that I've discovered over the course of my life is that one of the the most enjoyable things to do on this earth is to take the blessings that the Lord blesses you with and then share those blessings with somebody else, to shower the blessings that the Lord has blessed you with on the life of another person. And when we use the blessings that the Lord's given us to be a blessing to somebody else, I actually think we start to get a small taste of how the Lord actually feels when He chooses to bless us. Because when you look at all the things that you and I enjoy in our life, we we have to admit that we would not be enjoying these things, these spiritual blessings or material blessings or relational blessings or, or blessings of ability. We wouldn't enjoy any of those things if the Lord, in His grace, hadn't shared those things with us. And He delights to share good things with His children. And He gives us the opportunity to share good things with others as well. We get a taste of His generous heart as we do so. And when you look at how this portion of Scripture opens up in verse 7, according to this Scripture, all believers have been specifically blessed in Christ or graced in Christ. We've been given the generous gift of His grace. And as we see this concept developing in the coming verses... I think we'll see that this means that we've been spiritually equipped with God-given abilities to serve one another. That's what Paul is ultimately leading up to here in his explanation. And he describes these gifts being distributed in a very particular way. Describes it like a king returning back from battle and then sharing the spoils of war with those who are united to him. That's the picture he's giving here. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. And he's doing that to make his point. He's giving us the picture of the ongoing benefits of being united to Jesus, and uh, and to be being you know just uh, sharing in the victory or the benefits of the victory that Jesus Christ has secured on our behalf. And so Paul is explaining that he's illustrating that in this portion of Scripture. And when you look back at what Jesus came to this earth to do, Scripture is very clear that Jesus came to this earth and then conquered the foes of sin, Satan, and death and then ascended far above the heavens, like the scripture says here, with power and authority over all creation. And in the meantime, while we await his return, he desires to see his church built here on the earth. That's what's going on right now. In fact, we're participating in that process right now as we gather together to worship Christ. He desires to see his church built here on this earth. And so what he's doing is he's supplying all believers with gifts of service or the ability to serve with supernatural power in such a way that it helps make that happen. He has a mission for the church, he has a goal for the church, and he equips us to be able to participate in that mission with him. And I think that's an important thing for us to notice, especially, especially if you're somebody that maybe falls into one of two categories. Maybe you're somebody who only recently has come to faith in Jesus Christ. So maybe you're a new believer. And this is what I've noticed sometimes with people when they first come to faith in Christ. They're very enthusiastic about their faith, but sometimes they look at the ways in which the Lord is using other people, and they doubt that the Lord could use them that way. So if you're a new believer, if you're someone that just came to faith in Jesus Christ recently, I want you to take some confidence from what Paul says here, because you have been supernaturally gifted to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ in such a way that they can be built up. And it's not based on the amount of time that you've been a believer. It's based on the gifting of God and his ability to equip you to serve other people. Here's another thing that I think is useful to notice in regard to that. Sometimes, if you're not... Like, some, some of us here in this room are behind-the-scenes people, right? And I'd ask you to raise your hand if you're a behind-the-scenes person, but you'd be like, that's not how we roll, John, Right? We are behind-the-scenes people. We will write a note and tell you we are. But this is what I've noticed. A church doesn't run without those people. And sometimes people think that the only way that you could serve in the church is from a stage or from a pulpit. And because they don't feel like that's how they're gifted or that's how they're called, sometimes they doubt that the Lord could use them too. And so if you're a behind-the-scenes person, also known as the backbone of every local church, Or if you're a new believer, I want you to take to heart some of the things that are mentioned here in this portion of Scripture because they directly apply to you. And it's one of those things that you and I should never talk ourselves out of, just the fact that the Lord could make use of us. Because this is exactly what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that he says, but grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us, every single one of us, there are no exceptions. All believers have received a gift of grace. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have received the ability to supernaturally serve in the church in accordance with His power, in His strength, in His wisdom. He's given it to you. I think it's worth wrestling with, all right, Lord, how have you shaped me? How have you gifted me? Who do you want me to serve? And it doesn't have to look exactly like somebody else's area of service. But Paul develops this thought a little bit further here. And he tells us, all right, here's the reason you've been given this gift. This is the reason that you've been supernaturally entrusted with this ability. You've been given this gift because you're supposed to build one another up. You've been called to build one another up, to use this gift to build one another up. The way he phrases it, you can see in verses 11 and 12, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So he lists a whole bunch of things here. We're going to dig into that in just a second here. But I'll also tell you, this isn't the only place where, where Scripture talks about the fact that we've been gifted. If you want to follow a, a, you know, kind of a, a, a train of thought that Scripture talks about, here's the easiest way to remember it. If you ever want to look through the different ways Scripture lists that God gifts people, there's two chapter fours and two chapter twelves. You Ready? 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians 4. We're in Ephesians 4, so there's 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians 4. So look at those two fours, and then you could look at 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12. So two twelves and two fours, and you can look through all the different ways that God gifts and enables people to serve one another so that we'll build one another up. Now, many of you know uh, if you were here last week, you know that, that I wasn't here last week. My family wasn't here last week. In fact, uh, a few times a year, what our family does is we like to rent a cabin out in the middle of nowhere, and we always try and find a new cabin uh, out in the middle of a different nowhere. And so that's what, we, that's what we did this time. We rented a cabin in the middle of nowhere. We weren't here uh, with you last week, but we were still joining you via the live stream. Uh, so just so you know, your pastor's still snooping, and uh, even when he's away. Um, but many of you know that we asked Greg, where are you at, Greg? I asked Greg permission to share this, so don't think I'm putting him on the spot too bad. Um, But I I asked Greg, I said, Greg, any chance you'd be willing to preach for me when I'm going to be away in October? And Greg agreed to do that, and uh, we were watching him via the live stream. We're like, man, he's doing an excellent job. He's like, really good. And so we decided, let's just extend the vacation. You know, Greg's got this, right? Um, But you know, Greg admittedly, he's, he's, he's like, all right, well, I've got experience teaching, but I, I, I hope Greg's okay with me telling you this part of his secret. Did you know that that's the first time he ever preached a sermon? That that was the very first time. He's never preached a sermon before. That was the first sermon that he preached, right? Yeah, give him, give him a little <laughs> applause. So, That's scary, right? Like, that's terrifying to get up in front of a group of people and and preach a sermon. And several of you here have done that. And I'm really grateful that the Lord supplied uh, people like Isaiah, people like Seth, people uh, in our congregation that are willing to kind of step up and and do that and preach and communicate and do things like that. But here's the the other thing that we did. So during our midweek Bible study on Wednesday night, uh, we typically put a circle of chairs in the back of this room as we're studying the scriptures. Well, before we started up, I said, all right, Greg, um, while we're all sitting here, like as if it's not bad enough to have to just stand in front of people and preach, we turned that into an interrogation of of Greg on uh, Wednesday night. Not really an interrogation. It was almost like a circle of encouragement. We were all sitting around him, and, and I, I said, all right, it's your first time preaching, Uh, how was it? Like, what was the experience like? And so he shared uh, some of the things related to the experience. And then I said, now, Greg, what I want you to do is just kind of take this all in. I'd like you to hear the reactions of all of us in this circle and the feedback that we have for you related to that. Do you think that would be an easy thing to sit down and just kind of have a whole bunch of people after you've put yourself out there like that? Now, thankfully, everybody had wonderful things to say. And This is why I enjoyed that so much, and I was grateful that he was willing to do that, and even grateful that I asked his permission to share that with you this morning. I look at that and I say, okay, that's what a local church should be doing. Am I right? Like, when you look at what Paul's talking about here, a local church should be trying to actively invest and raise up additional leaders and give them a shot. And then when they take the shot, give them encouragement because they took the shot. And so that's what we tried to do, encourage a brother as he's taking the risk to do that. And, uh, and it was, it's a wonderful thing. You know, it's, and I look at stuff like that and I think, all right, I'm grateful for moments like that because I, I know that that's how the church is supposed to operate when you look at portions of Scripture like Ephesians chapter 4, because what we're called to do, we're called to value one another's gifts and we're called to give each other opportunities to put those gifts into practice. So value one another's gifts and then give each other opportunities to put those gifts into practice. And I also believe the Lord's glorified when we take time to express thankfulness for how those gifts have, have blessed our lives. Like If somebody uses their spiritual gift in a way that blesses you, give them a word of encouragement, egg them on, let them know how the Lord used them to be a blessing in your life because it ends up kind of just kind of encouraging people to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And as a result, the church gets built up. And what happens is the church that our Lord loves, right? He loves the church. Scripture tells us the church is his bride. He loves the church, and he wants the church to be healthy. He wants his bride to be healthy. So he calls us. He equips us in multiple ways. Our areas of service vary. And our roles of leadership differ. There's all sorts of variety going on. But the Lord calls us to use the gifts that He's given to us to serve one another in love and to build one another up. And it's interesting because when you look at the the partial list that Paul gives here in Ephesians 4, again, the other places you want to look, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, get a full glimpse of the different gifts that the Lord gives. But Paul here, gives he speaks of some of the leadership roles that are active in the local church. And the variety of leadership roles that that Paul mentions in this passage are fascinating because he's telling us, all right, first of all, in the church, Christ has called some of the early church leaders to serve as apostles of the faith. And so you have those individuals that were called as apostles. These were people who saw the risen Christ. These were also people that in a foundational way were given the ability at times to do certain things that were miraculous that confirmed that the message that they were proclaiming was actually accurate, and so there was a group of people that the Lord had called to be apostles. They were gifted to serve in that role. Paul also brings up the fact that, that others were called to operate in a prophetic role. And uh, let me make mention about some, just something quick about that, that particular role. I think a lot of times people think of a prophet as being one who can, who can predict the future, And that's certainly one element of of the ways in which the Lord uses prophets. When he gives somebody to be a prophet, he frequently will give them the ability to to, foretell something that's going to happen. But do you know what prophets do more than that? I mean, it's interesting that that's the main thing we think about in regard to a prophet. But they actually have a task that they do way more than predicting the future. They're actually called to, to really like speak into our conscience, and convict us about things. When you, when you look at the words of the prophets, when you read through the words of the prophets in scripture, they basically spent their lives causing people to bristle. They they will say things at times that everybody knows needs to be said, but it's like, oh yeah, you can't say that, because if you say that, then everybody's gonna get upset. And what does the prophet do? They say, Oh, that's what I'm here to do, <laughs> right? That's what I'm here to do. I'm, I'm here to bring up the subject nobody wants to bring up. And so that's frequently how the Lord will use people that he gifts with that, that particular capacity. It's not just about predicting the future. Sometimes it's really about speaking into the conscience of somebody and awakening them to see something that they're missing about the nature of their walk with the Lord or, or sin that they've invited into their life that they really need to repent of. Um, something else that, that Paul brings up or some other roles that he brings up here, he talks about the, the fact that the Lord has called some people to, to be evangelists, to just, have, you know, to just be proclaimers of evangelistic truth, to make the, the gospel known, to, to proclaim it. Some people, are, I think all believers should be evangelists, but some people have a gift for evangelism, and they can show the rest of us actually how to do that. And so the Lord calls certain people to be evangelists. And then we're also told that there are people that are shepherds or pastors, right? Uh, people with a shepherding gift or a pastoral gift, and people with a teaching gift. And the categories that Paul lists in this passage tend to be ways in which leadership functions on the local church level. The other references that I gave to you are other areas of service, some of the -the behind-the-scenes types of service that exist within the local church. But the point is, the Lord is purposely and intentionally giving gifts so that His church will be built up. So that believers will build one another up. You have certain gifts, and the person sitting next to you has certain gifts. And you don't have the same gifts in most contexts. You know, maybe there's overlap, maybe there isn't. Which means that each of us should look at one another and be like, apparently I need you. And the truth is, you and I will not grow mature in our faith if we try and do it alone. We will only grow to the level of maturity that the Lord desires for us if we are in fellowship with other believers. If you are not in fellowship with other believers, there are certain gifts that you don't have, that you're not around people that have those gifts, and as a result, you're going to be weak. And you'll probably tell yourself you're so strong, but that's a lie, so you need a prophet to to come in there and be like, hey, you lie to yourself a lot. Why do you lie to yourself so much? You're like, get out of here, prophet. Why do you have to be so annoying? It's like, because I tell the truth, right? But the idea is we need to be around one another to build one another up in areas where we're lacking, and the Lord has made the church interdependent so that that will be facilitated. And when leadership is shared, when gifts are shared, the entire church benefits. And again, like I mentioned earlier, when leadership is, uh, is concentrated in a local church and just one or two people here, you have all different realms of leadership that Paul brings up here, right? He's talking about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, But but when when, uh, leadership is concentrated in just one or two people, what ends up happening is that many important gifts go unused in the local church. And so that's why in our church context here, one of the things that we're we're honestly working hard to do is to develop our leaders, develop our our elders, our our, uh, ministry directors, encouraging them to develop the teams that are, are working alongside of them. Because here's what will happen. If we ignore this responsibility, we will not enjoy many of the benefits that are described here in this chapter of the book of Ephesians. And I frequently will tell people when they come to our church and, and, uh, and compliment something, do you know what they're typically complimenting? Something that one of our ministry directors and their teams have taken the time to oversee. So if we didn't have those ministry directors, if we didn't have those elders, if we didn't have these teams of volunteers, most of the good things, like even as I look around this room, I see, you know, half of us sipping coffee. The pastor didn't make that coffee. It'd be okay if he did, but he was glad that he didn't. He drank the coffee, and you know what happened? It made him happy, and it gave him 5,000 extra words today. So you can, you can thank our ministry directors and their teams for, for supplying that, but the point being, you know, even like, even as we finish up, You know, the third song, and the children are dismissed downstairs. The pastors and the elders didn't do that, did they? Who is it? It's our children's ministries team. You know, why right now, those of you with with little ones, why are you able to sit here and quiet? Because somebody under your feet here right now is volunteering to teach your children or to watch your children in the nursery. And what happens? In a very direct way, you can see how your life is being built up because for an hour, you get to sit under the teaching of the Word of God and you get a little bit of a pause, a little bit of a reprieve from some of your, your you know, parental responsibilities for that hour while somebody else says, I'm going to educate your child and teach your child the Scriptures so that you have the opportunity to sit and listen to the Scriptures being taught. And so you look at that, it's basically like every good thing that exists in a local church, there's, there's people using their gifts as the Lord has called them to use them to make it all possible. And it's exciting because what ends up happening is we all end up better. We all end up built up a little bit more because of our brothers and sisters in Christ using our in front of the crowd gifts and our behind the scenes gifts. Something else that Paul brings up in this portion of Scripture that I think is very, very useful to understand, and he he basically tells us that using our gifts, it contributes to the maturity of the church. So we're being built up, but the goal is that we become mature believers. Look at what he says in verse 13 and verse 14. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Using our gifts contributes to the maturity of the church. In your opinion, by the way, what does maturity look like? What does maturity look like? When you think, I just want you to have a mental picture for a second. Bring it up to your mind. What does maturity look like? So I I mentioned, you know, last week our our family, we rented a cabin. So while we were there at the cabin, we had a lot of fun together as a family, but one of the most interesting and fun things that we experienced happened uh, exactly a week ago. We heard a whimpering sound at the front door. We're like, what is this sound at the front door? There's a whimpering sound at the front door. And when we opened the door, a small beagle puppy ran inside. So it runs inside. And then when it ran inside... And I heard, it sounded like a small beagle puppy over here. Somebody had uh, kind of a chirp over here related to that. Um, I heard that whimper. Uh, that's what it sounded like at the door. That beagle ran inside and did two laps around the cabin that we rented. And then it jumped up on the couch next to me, leaned up alongside of me, and took a 20-minute nap. I and, I and as that was happening, I was... Puppy's eyes are open in that picture, but I said to my wife, I was like, hey, I'm not going to move. Take a picture. Take a picture for me. And so that's the puppy right before she fell asleep. But she leaned right up against my side, and uh, moments after that picture was taken, her eyes were closed, and she was out and I was like, well, what should we do? Like, who does this puppy even belong to? When it first came, it had no collar. Eventually, we figured out who it belonged to, but it took us a little bit, and I'll admit, we weren't really in a rush to figure out who it belonged to, because this thing was a lot of fun. And so, so uh, you know, she took her nap, and then after her nap was over, she woke up, and she was really excited to get a considerable amount of attention from our kids Uh, they were entertaining her and and playing with her, and and she was running around, and she was just having a lot of fun. And then in her excitement, she went out to the kitchen, and she grabbed something out of the garbage can. It was a box from Pop-Tarts, and she was like had it on her head and was like shaking her head around and chewing that box. And we're like, no, 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 get that off your head. And trying to get that off her head. And then she jumps up on an end table and knocks my wife's coffee over. And we're like, what's going on? Get off the end table. And then we're cleaning up coffee. And then she jumps down on the carpet, and starts chewing on the carpet and trying to pull it up. And I thought, Oh my word, what has got go take another nap. Take another nap, dog. But it was a lot of fun, and, uh, and it was kind of cool because every day for a decent amount of time, that beagle would show up. After that, it came over and it had a, a, a collar on. Once we figured out where it belonged, it came over with a collar. We're like, oh, okay, so th- you do have a home. I posted it online, and everyone's like, looks like you got a beagle now. Looks like you got a beagle. I know that my kids would have been happy if I agreed to that, but I did not do that. Um, and now I regret it now that I'm looking at that picture, you know. That beagle was cute. That beagle certainly wasn't mature. It needed to be taught, needed to be trained, needed to be disciplined, it needed to be loved, right? Needed all of those things. And in my estimation, when I look at the church, there are many Christians of all ages that still seem to have the spiritual maturity of that puppy. They're cute, they're cuddly, they're fun, but they really need some discipline and they need some structure. And they need some guidance. Many believers don't know the Scriptures. Why is that? There's one reason. I'll tell you the main reason. They don't care enough to learn them. That's the only reason. If you don't know the Scriptures at this point, it's because you don't care enough to learn them. Because it's so easy to learn the Scriptures in this generation. You don't even have to know how to read. You just listen to them being taught. If you don't know the Scriptures, it's your choice. You chose that, right? It's very simple. And in the absence of biblical knowledge, what happens, according to what the Apostle Paul says in this passage, what ends up happening is you you become led astray by worldly beliefs and false doctrines and schemes of the evil one that infiltrate your life because you are unaware. You don't even know what to watch out for. You know, and I'm seeing lots of that in this, this, I mean, we see this in every generation. It's not unique to our generation. But I can see some contemporary examples of that happening right now. Do you know that most churches in the past year and a half have lost about 30% of the people that were involved in it? And in some places it's actually higher. 30%. They never came back. They never came back. And in many respects they never came back because replacing what used to seem like an an external expression of faith it's just it's just like a, a worldly value, you know, worldly priorities, a worldly mindset. It's not the case in every instance. I'm not trying to paint like a universal brush in saying that. But in looking at some of the research that I'm seeing and talking to some pastors that I'm friends with, I've started to realize like, yeah, we were, we were primed to just fall into all sorts of silliness. And why do people believe foolish things? Because they don't know the truth. And so we don't, you know, puppies are cute, but you don't want to spend your life like a spiritual puppy. It's only cute for a while. After you have to replace the carpet a third time, it stops being cute, right? Use your spiritual gifts if you believe in Christ and let others use their gifts in your life. Walk by faith in Jesus. Commit his word to memory with intentionality and grow mature in your walk with him. Don't embrace immaturity. We're never called to embrace immaturity. Here, Paul's encouraging a very new, a very young church. He's saying, listen, grow mature. Grow up. You'll like it when you get there, right? And our entire lives are a process of growing spiritually mature. But there are a few things as sad, in my opinion, as someone who has claimed to know Jesus for decades, but they still have an untrained, unstructured, undisciplined faith like a spiritual puppy. It's very, very sad. It doesn't feel right when someone's known Christ for a long, long time, but their faith never grew up. Again, it stops being cute after a while, and it starts to become a serious issue. And so you have Paul saying, listen, the church is supposed to be healthy. We've got to build one another up, and we've got to help each other press on toward maturity, otherwise we're going to fall for all sorts of stuff that really is so out of line with the heart of God and when we and I've done that in my life I have to confess I, there are times in my life that, and it's so easy to do where you don't even realize you've adopted the world's perspective as your own and you're thinking yeah that's just the natural way to perceive something and then you come across something in scripture that convicts you and you're like wait a second have I been thinking about this all wrong and what is, it usually, what is it usually in your life, I'll tell you what's, what it usually is in my life that awakens my eyes to actually see when I've adopted something that doesn't belong in my mindset. It either comes when I'm reading scripture or when another brother or sister in Christ says something to me that I need to hear. Either comes from the lips of my brothers and sisters in Christ and I feel convicted about something, or I'm reading something in scripture that makes me aware of something I was completely unaware of. And so Paul here is encouraging the church, build into one another so that you keep growing mature and you sharpen your brother and you sharpen your sister and before and, and that we have the humility to say to one another, you know what, I didn't really want to hear that, but I'm actually glad you told me because it's evidence that you actually love me. And when you look at this last section here, that's exactly what I think Paul is trying to get at. We are being built up in the love of Christ. But look at how this is phrased when you look at verses 15 and 16. He says, rather, speaking the truth... In love. Not a beautiful statement. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. So it's saying, like, you know, each of us, let's do our part, let each part working properly. And it says, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I, I, I really enjoy how Paul concludes this particular section here. And he, as he kind of wraps up these particular verses here, he does so with the challenge to speak to one another in love. But please notice what we're called to speak to one another. The how we're supposed to speak to one another is in love, right? So as brothers and sisters in Christ, we speak to one another in love. But what's the what that we're supposed to speak to one another? We're called to speak the truth. So, we're called to speak the truth in love. The what is the truth, the how is in love. So, if we aren't speaking the truth, or if we're avoiding uncomfortable truths, we're not really benefiting one another like we're called to do. But in love, consider the things that we could do for one another. We can point out error. That's certainly something that we can do. In love, we can point out error. We can challenge the wandering. We can also comfort the grieving. Do you ever have somebody in your life that just reminds you when you're catastrophizing everything that all is not lost? And isn't that sometimes the wake-up call that you need to hear? You know, when you go through those low stretches where you just need a brother or sister in Christ to kind of speak a word of encouragement into your heart, and they remind you, hey, your hope is not right now. Look beyond the moment. And you're like, you know what? That was the truth I needed to hear right now. Thank you for speaking that to me in love. We're called to speak the truth, and we benefit one another as we do so. Um, Several years ago, a a member of our extended family uh, went through a very lean time, and they were dealing with all sorts of issues. One of the things that was definitely an issue was just things regard to their, to their finances because the, uh, the female relative, um, she had lost her job, and uh, her husband, um, he had lost his job, and so they were really struggling. And uh, she tells the story. It's very interesting. One evening, she had stopped over to put gas in their car. And so she pulled over, and right before she was about to pay... A friend who happened to be at that gas station at the same time and knew her situation walked over and put his card in the slot to pay for the gas before she was able to put her card in. Just put it in, swiped it, and then walked away to pay for the gas. And I I look at that and I think, like, that's a wonderful story because you, you look at that and you say, all right, he could have withheld that blessing, but yet he saw a friend and said, okay... I'm going to bless you. I have the ability to bless you. I'm going to just walk over. It's going to take me two seconds. I'm just going to swipe that card. I'm going to bless you. And then I'm going to walk away. Have you ever considered the fact that that choosing not to use the gift of grace that the Lord has given you to serve your brothers and sisters in the church is the same as withholding love that you have the ability to give? Do you ever think about it that way? It's like having the ability to meet somebody else's need out of your abundance, but yet choosing to keep that gift to yourself. And it's very easy to find ourselves doing that, to say like, yeah, I actually have. I've been supernaturally gifted. I've been supernaturally equipped with the ability to make your life better right now in some way, through a word, through an act of service, through something but I'm going to keep it to myself. It's like looking at somebody that you know they need you to pay for their gas, and you keep the card in your pocket. You're like, eh, I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to bother. No, I'll just stand here. It's better to walk over and swipe the card. You know, Walk over and alleviate somebody's pain. Walk over and offer what you have to give to be a blessing to somebody else. So let me say this as we finish up for Christ's glory. And in view of his great love, let's use the gifts that he's given us to build one another's faith. Because as we do so, what's going to end up happening and what is happening is we'll mature together and Christ will be glorified as his church is healthy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to Look at this portion of Scripture together today and to think about some of the things that you talk about here through the Apostle Paul. Lord, it's just so interesting to think that we find it very easy to be dismissive of our own life and dismissive of your work in our life. It's just so easy for us to look at ourselves and think, ah, somebody else could do that better, or somebody else has more time for that than I do, or I've done enough of that in an earlier season of life, I don't need to do that during this season of life. And we've got these gifts, we've got these abilities, we've got these supernatural talents that you've you've graced us with, As we trust in you. And you're saying, all right, make use of this. Make somebody else's life better. Help someone else's faith mature. Use the gift that you've been entrusted for as long as you've been entrusted with it. So, Lord, it's encouraging to look at a portion of Scripture like this, and I, I find it edifying, even from a pastoral standpoint, because it's just another reminder to me, and I believe to our local church, of the importance of valuing what each of us is able to bring to the table because of your supernatural gifting. Lord, we're just so grateful for each person who operates behind the scenes to make things function properly. Lord, we we have missionaries who each month are receiving support from our church because we have people quietly supporting them, and then we have a missions treasurer who makes sure that those funds reach to them. We have people being helped with, with food needs. We have people being helped with mercy-related needs. We have children that are being instructed and babies that are being watched and buildings that are being cleaned and buildings that are being repaired and people that are being contacted and all sorts of things like this, people that are being prayed for. People being encouraged intentionally. People being visited in the midst of their illnesses. Because you've been, one at a time, raising people up, convincing them that they have a gift, and then giving them the opportunity to use it. So Lord, if there be anyone with us today that maybe is new in their walk with you and and isn't yet fully aware of the ministry that you've given to them, we pray that you would make that clear to them. Help them to figure out how you've shaped them and how you've gifted them and, and give them opportunity to use that gift. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us as a local church to figure out ways in which to give opportunities like that for those gifts to be used. And Lord, for, for someone that thinks maybe that, that the gifts can only be used on a stage or behind a pulpit, we pray that they would see the value in the ways in which they have been gifted and realize there's a lot of joy in serving people for your glory and for the benefit of those that we love. So, Lord, thank you so much for those that have made investments in our walk. Thank you for helping us to grow mature. Lord, if if we're looking at our own lives and saying, all right, you know what, it's time for me to move beyond this stage that I'm at right now. It's time for me to grow. We pray, Lord, that we would be inspired and encouraged to do so as we look at your word. And we're just grateful, Lord, for the fact that you've given us the opportunity to do so. We pray that each and every day that we live would be another day that we just rejoice in you and seek to glorify your name and uh, ultimately seek to be a benefit to, to our brothers and sisters in Christ as we serve as your ambassadors in this world. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all of these things, and we commit ourselves unto you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.